It's the question we ask at the end of our rope. When the storm is raging, and when the monsters under the bed have introduced themselves. When everything around us seems to be on fire. It's the question we ask when hope slips through like sand in a bottle. When the mockingbirds stop singing. When the news reporter leads with another mass shooting. It's the question we ask when the depression moves in, making herself at home, making a mess of it all. It's the question we ask when we're not sure if Easter will come. Will it be Lent forever? Will the sun ever rise? Will this hope lead to something? Can these bones ever live? This is from Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophecy to these bones, and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophecy to the breath, prophecy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O, bre uh, um, o br breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. 
therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. From John 11, 1 through 45. From John 11, 1 through 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is from God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews who were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to, I'm going to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Will you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you know that Colin Douglas is my birth name, though I much prefer and appreciate your calling me Ari. My parents will almost always call me Colin, and I'm okay with that. Eventually, when I change my name, when Lauren and I get married, I will be adding Ariel onto it, but I won't be taking Colin away. It's part of who I am and always will be. Well, it has been complicated in the past because there is another pastor in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ whose name is Douglas Collins. You, you might see how that gets confusing at times. So we have been confused as being the other a time or two. In fact, uh, one of my best friends in seminary 
Even though his first name was not Douglas, his first name was Clint, his last name was Collins. So there was still confusion, even in that small space, about who are you talking about? Are you talking about Collins or Colin? Uh, <laughs> so we, we also were confused a time or two. Um, names are important, not just because they tell us who someone is, but as that person gets to be known, the name tells the world something about us. I invite you to consider what your name and what your name means to you. Whether you've always had it, whether you've whether it's something someone chose for you and what they had in mind when they did, whether it's a name you chose for yourself and what you were trying to convey. In scripture there are multiple times when people and groups of people take on new names. Abram becomes Abraham and so forth. These mean new things as well. Keep that in mind, I'm gonna jump subjects. Scriptural authority is a hot button subject in a lot of faith communities. Who has the authority to decide the way something is? Does the authority of Scripture lie with a divine? Is the authority uh, with um, the people? Is it from tradition and reason? I am reminded of one of my favorite stories from the Talmud. One day, Rabbi Eliezer was debating with other rabbis about a particular issue. Had to do with uh, ovens, I think. They all disagreed with him, so he said, if halakha, uh, law essentially, um, agrees with me, the carob tree will prove it. Well, the carob tree uprooted, walked over a few uh, cubits, and plopped back down. The other rabbis said, well, carob trees don't prove halakha. So Rabbi Eliezer said, if halakha agrees with me, the stream will prove it. And the stream changed, turning backwards. The other rabbis said, eh, if halakha, uh, halakha is not proven by streams. <laughs> and Rabbi Eliezer said, eh, if halakha agrees with me, the walls of the study that we are in will prove it. And the walls began to fall inward, endangering all inside. Rabbi Yehoshua scolded the walls, essentially telling them to butt out. Has nothing to do with you. And the walls did not continue to fall in, but out of uh, deference for Rabbi Yehoshua. But in deference to Rabbi Eliezer, they remain leaning to this day. Rabbi Eliezer then said, if halakha is in accordance with my opinion, heaven will prove it. And a voice came from heavens, the heavens and said, Why do you argue with Rabbi Eliezer? His opinion is always right. And Rabbi Yehoshua said, basically, it is not in heaven. Essentially, 
you had your say at Sinai when you gave us the law. At which point the holy smiled and said, my children have triumphed over me. My children have triumphed over me. Now, the story which I personally find really funny, and I'm, I'm glad people were laughing because it's just a funny story. It's a great story and tells you know what um, what the Jewish take on scriptural authority is is that it lies with the people. Um, but something that I happen to agree with that the Torah or scripture may have been given to us, whether that's through the recording of stories of people who have struggled with one another and the unknown and codifying it through councils, or whether it's been directly given to us from a higher power, is not something that I find nearly as interesting of a discussion as I find the conversation of where authority rests right now. The rabbis in the story believe that scripture was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, but now the authority does not rest in heaven, but among the people who are trying to make sense of it and live with it. This tends to be where I place authority of scripture as well. And what we view as scripture differs from community to community. For example, within the community of PUC, Fort Smith Union Church, uh, Micah 6.8 is written right over there telling me that that is an essential and important scripture for the people in this place. It's not in this sanctuary. You'll have to go out into the fellowship hall and see it, but it's there. Trust me. Don't trust me. Go look at it yourself after church. <laughs> Additionally, however, we have a book that uh, we give out quite often to our neighbors. It's small and it's green and has a lot of deeply important information. It may be a challenging thought, but I would say that little book is, that is very important, perhaps even is a sort of scripture among many of our people and the people that we serve. So what we call scripture, that question, that debate, is what leads me back to the topic of names. I told you I was going to get there. And the subject that I think is breathing new life into old theological and scriptural bones. Imagine, if you will, the scripture that we heard this morning was not about two sisters petitioning Jesus, but just one voice. One voice that, would have, that was approaching Jesus and asking him to save her brother that same voice, one that would meet Jesus in the garden after his resurrection. Cutting-edge technology has allowed for new advancements in biblical scholarship. And one recent MDiv graduate from, uh, from General Theological Seminary in New York City made a discovery in Papyrus 66. We all know what Papyrus 66 is, right? No? No? Good, because I wasn't sure either until I was reading this. Uh, not my sermon for today, but uh, the uh, uh, commentaries that led me to this. Papyrus 66 is the oldest and most complete text that we have of the Gospel of John. 
She had access to, um, to Papyrus 66, not because she had a lot of money or a lot of time or the ability to travel to it, which would have been required in earlier generations, actually going in and getting your hands on it. But because it has been recently been digitized, meaning that it has been scanned and people can go and look at it online. Really cool. <laughs> so she was looking at it and she saw that the first sentence said, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, at the village of Mary and his sister Mary. Except that's not what your Bibles say, right? And it's not what her English translation said either. The version we read this morning, in fact, said, and her sister Martha. But that's not in the original and oldest of Greek versions. So this graduate student, Elizabeth Schrader, realized that someone had edited the text in multiple places to change Mary to Martha. Because it was scanned in, she could really literally see where it had been marked over and written in Martha multiple times in the text, just throughout it. Not only that, but all of the pronouns had been changed from sister to sisters. The story and family in Luke, which is not what we read today, of Mary and Martha is important. That's the story that Mary and Martha are doing two different things. You have Mary's and you have Martha's in, in very traditional churches, those who study and those who do the work. And I've argued for a very long time that we should all endeavor to be both. And that's an important text. But in John, we're talking about a very different family. The importance of Mary in John has been downplayed. Because at about the fourth century, an editor decided to split Mary Magdala into two people. Moreover, this Mary of Bethany which is not where the family lives in Luke, because it's the opposite side of Israel, <laughs> showing that it's two different families. These are common names, right? So it's an easy mistake. This Mary of Bethany is named Magdala by Jesus. Magdala has a meaning, just like Peter has a meaning. Magdala means tower. This is not a place name, but rather like Peter being the rock, Martha is the tower, the tower of faith. Mary Magdala, much like Peter, also confesses that Jesus is Lord. In this scripture, and she pays witness to the resurrection of Christ in the garden. These are important aspects that have been undownplayed in Christianity. I think it is quite likely due to a quarrel between early Christian followers of Peter 
and early Christian followers of Mary, and that the Christian followers of Peter won out. Now, this isn't some Dan, Dan Brown novel. There's not some conspiracy. This happened thousands of years ago, over, well over a thousand years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. This is Harvard Theological Review supporting this. This is the old stuffy Germans in the Nestle Allen Translation Committee of the Greek New Testament who are the guardians of the Greek New Testament debating whether this becomes a lengthy footnote. If you have study Bibles, you understand what these lengthy footnotes look like. Or, or to rewrite the Christian Testament and remove the name Martha from the Gospel of John where it never should have been and preserve and honor her in Luke. This is something that does not happen often. We don't go changing our scripture on a dime. But it is deeply important. So the question that I'd like to offer for today is, what would have it looked like for Christianity to have not buried the prophetic voice of Mary? What would it look like now if we amplify that voice? I do not believe in complementarianism, where women are intended for one thing and men are intended for another. I'm a non-binary individual, and so it's kind of obvious why that might be an issue for me. Uh, but even if I were not, I think that our gifts and our authority should not be divided by gender. I do think that authority, names, and who we say we are is important. When people say something about themselves, they should be believed. Not written out, not written over. So when we look at today's scripture and we imagine what it, might, what it might be like to have a woman-led or queer-led or marginalized people-led movement. I think we are looking at what Christianity is intended to be. A week ago from this last Thursday, I attended a discussion with Brian McLaren and, uh, that was hosted by St. John's Church called, Is Christianity Worth Saving? Brian said that if it is a Christianity that preserves the patriarchy or racism, then no. But there has been since the beginning, and there is now, many different kinds of Christianity. So the question is, when we look at the movement that we are today, when we look at how to breathe new life into these old bones, when we look at breathing new life into those who are feeling run down and burnt out, when we look at what Christ followers could be today, what would it look like to follow Mary the Tower? It may look like finding new life in old bones of Scripture. It may be fine understanding that we need to rest like the dead Lazarus. Take a few days off. It might mean 
that we need to organize, organize, organize. It might mean systemic change while we also seek to bind up the wounds of those who are hurting right around us. What does it mean to you? Amen.